Happy Father's Day, all you dads, and I uh, hope you have a great day. We're a series we started last week, uh, Too Good to Be True. No, it is true, and uh, today's topic is Accepted by Grace. All right, I've um, been a pastor for 40 years. I love being a pastor, About most things about being a pastor. Nobody loves everything about their job, I guess. Um, but one thing that really bugs me about being a pastor is when I meet new people, whether it's on a cruise or wherever, you can't go very long in the conversation before you get asked what question. What do you do for a living? And as soon as you say pastor, you get reactions. You mate, uh, we had a repairman working on our stove this week and he was a believer and found out it was a pastor. We just had this wonderful theological discussion about several issues. It was great. Uh, but most people you meet aren't that enthusiastic about their faith or not believers at all. So you get all these kind of reactions. They, their language changes. They're smoking a cigarette. They may put it out. They might start making excuses. But I don't know why, but they feel like they make excuses to me. They don't go to church or don't go to church very often. Or they sometimes even may even start confessing their sins to me. I'm not Catholic. You don't need to do that. Um, and some people just shut down. You can tell, as soon as they can get away from me, <laughs> the faster the better. Now, I think I'm a pretty nice guy. My wife does it anyway. Um, so it bug, bugs me that I get that kind of reaction. Now, even if you're not a pastor, when people find out that you're a Jesus follower, if you are, if you're not, we're, we're delighted you're here. But if you are, you get those, kind of get those same reactions, don't you? Why? Well, the basic reason is they don't feel they'll be accepted by a pastor, right? So this is the thing that bothers me, and we've talked about this before, and this is the first thing on your outline. And we're going to see it in our story we're going to look at today. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, people who were nothing like Jesus, you know, those type of people that don't feel comfortable with me, like Jesus, I, like I said, I think I'm a likable guy. They, they, automatically, when they hear pastor, you know, there's this uncomfortableness. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. He liked hanging out with them. He liked being with them. And the story today, we're going to find out that Jesus gave us one of these type of people an invitation. But it wasn't the kind of invitation that they would expect. It wasn't an invitation, well, come to church. It wasn't, or go to the synagogue or the temple in their case. It wasn't an invitation, hey, it's, stop doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. You need to be doing this. It wasn't that kind of invitation. Uh, it was basically this. And this is where we get our, 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 <clears throat> our goal as a church. Follow me. Don't have to change anything. Just, you know, just follow me. Hang out with me. Spend time with me. And uh, see how high I roll, as we say. And see if it's for you or not. All right? Now, we, we say around here, we think you'll be better at life and your life will be better as a Jesus follower. And so Jesus just said, hey, follow me and, and see. All right? Now, uh, John was one of the early disciples of Jesus. And uh, he was a, a, a good Jew, a religious person when Jesus called him. And uh, thought Jesus was a holy man, a rabbi and so he respected him and he followed him and, and when Jesus started hanging out with these unsavory characters 
I can just imagine John's skin beginning to crawl. <laughs> because a good Jew wouldn't hang out with those type of people. They felt like they would get uh, cooties from them. They would get uh, uh, contaminated and they'd have to go through this cleansing process and so forth. So when Jesus was started hanging out with these type people, uh, John was just uncomfortable. That's John and Peter probably. So John later writes a, what we call a gospel, a story of the life of Jesus. And he starts his out different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. <clears throat> and so I just want to read one verse. But I think where, where John finally came to an understanding of what Jesus was up to and what he was doing. He's, the Word, that means Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The most dramatic example of holy mixing with unholy was Jesus coming here to earth, right? To interact with any of us. And so he said, he did that. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of, now notice what he says here, full of grace and full of truth. 100% grace and 100% truth. And we, we, we kind of try and operate this way. You know, maybe I'm 50% grace and 50% truth. Because they're kind of like conflicting. You know, I can't always be gracious. It feels like I'm letting people get by with stuff, right? Are condoning what they're doing. So I got to give, you know, I got to get those doses of, of truth in there. And uh, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You never compromise grace. Never, ever, ever. 100% grace. Always gracious. But you never compromise truth either. 100% truth. A good example was the woman caught in adultery. And, and people wanted to stone her. And, and eventually Jesus said something. And they all walked away. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I accept you. Now, you need to stop doing what you're doing. It's not good for you. It's not best for you. It's not best for your family. Full grace, full truth. So we're going to look at a guy by the name of Levi in the New Testament who had an encounter with Jesus. Now, Levi was from the, he was named after his ancestor. There's a tribe, one of the 12 tribes of Israel was called uh, the Levites. So he was a descendant of, of the Levites and he was named after them. His name was Levi. And they were, they were a special tribe of the 12 tribe. What was different about their tribe? Who knows? All the what came from the tribe of Levi? The priest, okay? So yeah, as a pastor, I'm not a priest, but I was, as a pastor, you know, I'd have to come from the tribe of Levi if I was Jewish. All right? So he was a descendant of priests. But Levi, I don't know when, maybe in college, he made a decision. I don't think I want to do the priest route. I think I want to do the tax collector route. That's about as <laughs> far away from a priest as you can get. Um, so he became a tax collector. Now tax collectors were collaborators with Rome. They collected the taxes from the Jewish people, and he was Jewish, collected from his countrymen taxes to give to the Romans. Now somebody had to do it, obviously. But what happened was... Rome would have a quota. Say, you know, every person had to pay $10. Well, the tax collector could charge you whatever he wanted. There was no control. So consequently, they became super rich. Because, all right, give me $20. You can't argue. And uh, he pockets 10 In fact, some of the tax collectors had an organization of tax collectors. And, uh, you know, like a head tax collector. So he made even more money. Now, something you might not think about with Levi was this. The Jewish people thought land was precious. 
Now, you and I buy and sell land. It's no big deal to us. But they consider it precious because it was part of what? The promised land. And so what most tax collectors had to do, they had to sell a portion of their estate to get the money to buy the position of tax collector. Now, we would say, hey, it's a good trade-off. You know, I, you know I, it's an investment. And I'm going to sell this land off for a certain amount of money, but I'm going to make a whole lot more money over here. But it, so consequently, not only was he a traitor and he was betraying and stealing from his countrymen, he was, it was considered almost sacrilegious that he would sell some of his land. So there were, he was like a go-between between the Romans and the Jews. And consequently, as a good Jew, if he was a, considered himself a good Jew, he would live under tremendous guilt and shame for what he was doing. He probably didn't even go to the temple or to the synagogue because of, and if he did, he felt horrible when he was there. And we have, a, Jesus told a story about uh, a, a tax collector who went to, went to the uh, temple. So can you imagine, and we're going to read the story here in a minute, when Jesus approaches him, actually his tax collector's office or booth, and uh, he actually gives him a new name. What's his new name? Matthew. Matthew. Okay, yeah. He gets named Matthew. Matthew he, he later writes, writes one of the gospel stories. In fact, it's the first one in the New Testament. So, <clears throat> I want to give you a little bit of background. What happens just before Jesus' encounter with Matthew. Because it's really significant to what we're talking about. So, this is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Some people brought to him, Jesus, a paralyzed man on a mat. And if you read the other accounts, they tore a hole in the roof and lowered this guy down in front of Jesus because of the crowd and they couldn't get to him. Pretty dramatic. Seeing their faith, not, not the sick man's faith, but his friends, uh, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. And what's he expecting to hear? Get up and walk, right? What does he say? Uh, your sins are forgiven. That's not what he wanted to hear. That's not what his friends wanted to hear. They could have gone to any priest and got it proclaimed, doing an offering, got their sins forgiven. Now, some of the religious leaders were there also, and they didn't like hearing this either. They were probably the most upset by what Jesus said because consequently, he was proclaiming himself what? Who forgives sin? God. He's saying, I'm God. Now, I've said this before. If I said to you, I'm God, you would probably get up and leave, wouldn't you? And that's how the Pharisees or the religious leaders felt when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. But then he goes and heals the guy, right? And he gets up and walks, walks away. And so I'm going to summarize the, the encounter like this. Jesus said what only God could say. Your sin's forgiven, right? I can't forgive your sins. You can't forgive mine. Only God can forgive sins. And then he did what only God could do. I can't make the, help the lame walk, but God can do that. And he did do that. <clears throat> and so now we'll pick up the story in verse 9 where Jesus encounters Levi. It's interesting to me that he writes his name as Matthew in uh, this part of the account, but at this point his name is Levi, okay? Jesus walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And what does he say to him? Hey, you're a traitor. You shouldn't be doing this. 
you're supporting the Romans. That's not what he says to him. He says, follow me and be my disciple. Now here's the fascinating thing. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus says, uh, Matthew gets up and follows him. Now, it's kind of like this. You've got a, a job making uh, 500K a, K a year, say. All right? And I come along and say, hey, come follow me and be poor. That's basically what he said. And Matthew does it. So there's this tension between, you know, feeling he's a terrible Jew, he's guilt and shame for that, and this holy man coming to him and accepting him and saying, hey, come join us, hang out with us. And he was so accepting that Matthew did it. What an example for us. I put on your outline this statement, the story of Jesus, the story of God drawing near to those who have been pulled away by sin like Matthew, and pushed away by the self-righteous. Because again, the good Jews had nothing to do with the bad Jews. They didn't want to get their cooties, like I said. Now before we jump, continue the story, I want to jump back to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Now we ask people, a new, a new person to the Bible, we usually give them a New Testament and say, start reading New Testament. Did you ever read the first chapter of Matthew? like one of the most boring parts of the Bible. <laughs> it's a list of names you can't pronounce half of them. All right? We call it a genealogy. <clears throat> now, that was pretty normal to write people's backgrounds because it was significant, especially to Jewish people. But if you were paid, I don't know if Matthew was paid, but if you were hired or paid to write somebody's genealogy, you would be selective. It's a good word to use. You'd be selective, Right? So if you've got some unsavory characters in your, hist- in your lineage, you'd probably leave them out, right? And they probably wouldn't include the stuff that you did that weren't so, wasn't, wasn't so complimentary and put in, you know, all the good stuff you did, right? Well, if we read the genealogy that Matthew wrote, it was just kind of like the opposite. He was like emphasizing the bad stuff, which is really, really strange. And the good question is why would he do that? So we're just going to take a minute or two here and look at a little bit of it. This is Matthew chapter 1, starting at the beginning. Record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, descendant of David and Abraham. These are two biggies, right? So Jesus was a descendant of Abraham and David. So Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. He had 12 sons, right? Now was Judah the most exemplary of the 12 sons? And why even include his brothers? Well, he did have one exemplary brother. We know him by the name of Joseph, right? Now, Joseph was an example of grace and forgiveness. He forgave his brother for selling him into slavery. He's kind of a Jesus um, example for us, isn't he? So in writing this, he sent Jacob and Judah and his brothers, meaning he had a good brother, but this, guy, this brother wasn't so good. And we see it here in the next part. And I don't know if you know the story, but Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, another thing you didn't do back then was conclude women in the genealogy because they weren't important. They weren't significant. Now, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law and her husband dies and and Judah was supposed to provide a, a man so she would have an heir and he didn't do it. So Tamar dresses up like a prostitute one day. Judah comes around and uh, has a, 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 a relationship with her. She gets pregnant. 
He tries to pay her later, but she takes off. When she, when he, when she gets pregnant, he wants to kill her. She's been, she's been immoral. Then he finds out that he is the dad. And of course, he proclaims his, his guilt at that point. And so Perez is uh, an ancestor of Jesus. All right, so let's, let's skip down. Verses 5 and 6. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, okay, we got another woman included here. What do we know about Rahab? Well, she wasn't a Jew, for one thing, was she? She was a worshiper of idols, and she was a prostitute by profession. Now, if you're writing your ancestor, you want prostitutes in there? But Matthew includes it. Then we have Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth was an example of grace, but she was also not a Jew. All right, so you, you're writing the ancestry of the Messiah, the most important Jew of all time, and you're including <laughs> prostitutes and non-Jews and, and women. And then he goes on and says, Jesse was the father of David, and David was the father of Solomon. He could have ended it there, right? Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. No, he says, whose mother was Bathsheba, Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Why would you include that? Oh, that's right. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed Uriah. That's a great person to put in your ancestry, right? So I concluded, made this conclusion. Messiah's ancestry was tainted, even worse than that probably, with non-Jews and prostitutes and murderers and adulterers. And then I also added this. There was no point in hiding the flawed humanity of Jesus' ancestry that was the main point. Now, in Jesus' day, there was a bunch of Jews that thought they were in good standing with God. And the religious leaders, Pharisees, would fit in this group. Now, to do that, you had to do two things. You had to be delusional, for one, and you had to dumb down the law, right? Because there's no way anybody's keeping the law. And if you had to keep the law to be in good standing with God... So we call them self-righteous people. They thought they were in good standing with God because of what they did themselves. <clears throat> and I put this on your outline. The self-righteous chased sinners away. They thought they were better than tax collectors and sinners. And they separated themselves and they would chase them away and they would tell them they didn't deserve, you know, to be, be in relationship with God. And the sinner's shame kept them running. You know, I, God can't love me. God doesn't want to hang out with me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm too bad. So was there a way back? Well, for both groups, because both groups needed to get back. One group didn't think they needed to. And again, what was the invitation? Follow me. That's it, right? Follow me. Don't change everything. Get your life back together. Just, just follow me. Hang out with me. And one translation says, an unforced rhythms of grace. Grace is just attractive. Grace is accepting. Grace is appealing. Grace, we desire grace. So, where did Jesus take him? Did he take him to the temple? Did he take him to some place and start teaching him what he needed to change? No, the story is fascinating. He goes to Matthew's house. And Matthew's feeling so accepted by Jesus, he invites his friends over. 
This isn't the religious leaders. This is the tax collectors and their friends, which probably were the lowest of the low, right? So Matthew's house becomes a place of grace because Jesus was there. Put on your outline, Jesus was not uncomfortable, surrounded by those who needed the bridge back to God that only grace could provide. And I might say that that's where he most wanted to be. And that's where you and I should most want to be. Now, as we pick up the story, the Pharisees are going crazy because they would never have gone into Matthew's house. And they didn't expect a holy man to do that. So picking up the story back in Matthew 9. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. They're probably obviously outside. And maybe some of the disciples were outside. Because again, maybe John and Peter didn't feel comfortable going in there either. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's what they thought of him. Good question, right? Holy man hanging out with unholy people? And they couldn't comprehend this. They couldn't understand. They had no category for this. They, they, none of them would do this. They wouldn't think of doing this. It didn't fit their theology. So Jesus kind of helps them understand. Great illustration. <clears throat> when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Micah, where are you? Micah went to the doctor's on Friday, found out he had a sinus infection. He didn't call the doc up and say, Doc, just want to let you know I'm feeling great. We don't do that, do we? So, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. I'm a doctor. I'm a spiritual doctor. Actually, a physical doctor. He healed a guy. He just healed a guy, right? Sick people do. People separated from God do. Then he goes on. He added, now go and learn the meaning of Scripture I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. This is the, out of Hosea. The, the Pharisees would have known this by heart. Mercy there can be translated grace. We usually think of mercy as not getting what you deserve. You know, go to court and, and they let you off. You don't get the speeding ticket. You don't get the fine. But grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's like the, like the can't imagine this. At court, the judge said, I'm not going to fine you for speeding and I'm going to give you 100 bucks to go out on lunch with, on me. That's grace. And so he's saying, grace, not, sac- not religion. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I rewarded them. I've not come to call those who think they're good, are good enough, but those who know they're not. So it brings us to a, like a, a kind of an uncomfortable truth. Grace is inviting to the unrighteous. Jesus was inviting Matthew and his friends, but threatening to the self-righteous. Whoa, Uh, you know, I try and keep the law, and this is is gonna mess mess me up hanging out with these unholy people. And I think, you know, I'm good enough. I I can do it on my own. So here's what we need to remember. Grace is not earned. That's what the Pharisees thought they did. I've earned right standing with God. I deserve to be connected with God. It's offered. Of course, it's offered to everybody, but the self-righteous don't think they need it. And this wasn't new. This goes all the way back to the story we talked about last week, Adam and Eve. God could have zapped them right, 
right away and he said, no, 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 I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to let you be separated from me. You're my creation. I love you and I'm going to do whatever I can. You're, you're sick. I want to heal you. So as I said last week, Jesus is grace personified. Grace personified. So we have this conflict between the self-righteous and the bad people, if you want to call them that, not so good people. And the conflict still goes on today, doesn't it? But Jesus kind of silenced it. And Matthew writing later, at the end of his writing about Jesus, he writes something that says, Jesus said to him, go into all the world, not just to the Jews, go into all the world and make disciples or make followers. Just like I've done with you, Matthew. So we have attention today, so I'm going to give you some homework. And it's going to be self-evaluation. And it's this. To which side of the aisle, and I know, somebody told me that's the wrong aisle. It's A-I-S-L-E, not island. Uh, do I tend to lean? So you tend to feel like, hey, you know, I go to church. I, the Pharisees would say, I tithe, I fast. You know, I'm going on a missions trip, whatever it might be. So me and God are good because I do all this stuff. And do you tend to kind of look down on those people that, eh, don't kind of live the lifestyle that you would approve of? And maybe you'd live that lifestyle that you're not really comfortable with all this stuff. And you're not comfortable with God and you don't think you're good enough to God for God to say, come follow me. And probably most of us kind of somewhere in between. But Jesus would, I think, would suggest a third alternative. And that's grace. And I put this last statement on the outline. It's basically this. You can't be good enough, but you don't have to be. That's grace. Next week, we're going to talk about a good guy and how Jesus shared grace with him. Hope you can join us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you for this powerful story of Matthew and his life and, and uh, how far <laughs> he came with this encounter with Jesus and following. What an example to us. And God, as we encounter those people far from God, I pray that we are like Jesus, not judgmental, but gracious. We can share the truth, but grace, always grace. And that's so attractive, accepting. Let us have the opportunity to bring people into a relationship with you, God. They will follow. Just come on, follow, hang out with us. See how your life can be better and you can be better at life. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.